Graphic Nature acknowledges the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we record the show and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and future and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening to this podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. Fighting for what's right, for justice, that's what a hero does. It is my opinion, without any reasonable doubt and without any reservation, that comic books are an important contributing factor in many cases of juvenile delinquency. Comic books are pure evil. Satan himself condemns our children to the fiery depths of hell. How a particular tale can come to life in the mind of a reader is endlessly fascinating to me. We have found that all comic books have a very bad effect on teaching the youngest children the proper reading techniques. This balloon print pattern prevents that. I am not a villain. I am a victim. A victim of a society that tortured me. Vengeance will be mine, will be mine, will be mine. Welcome to Graphic Nature, a fortnightly podcast exploring the inspiring world of comic books, the culture that supports it, the creators, publishers and people behind the printed pages and digital screens pushing the medium on into the future in Australia and the world. I'm Zoran Ilyevsky. On this episode, we're joined with writer and artist of Action Tank, Mr. Mike Barry. Mike, how are you doing? Good, Zoran. How are you? Good, mate. Welcome to the show. How did how did uh, comics and the jump from from Mike Barry to Mike Barry, creator of Action Tank? How did that happen? Uh, you know what? That's probably a really long story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I mean, I've always loved comics. Yeah, and I think uh, when I was a kid, you know, reading the classics, Tintin, Asterix, and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and then at some point, discovering. Marvel comics, particularly this series I remember called Hawkeye Solo Avengers. Uh, So it was just a Solo Avengers, I think it was by Tom DeFalco and a whole string of really great artists. But yeah, it was about Hawkeye and actually how he became who he is. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of of classic superhero action in there. But I think, uh, you know, I was relatively young, but there was also a lot of much bigger themes going on there. I mean, it was kind of dealing with cancer and him coming from an abusive home and alcoholism and you know a whole bunch of stuff that as a kid I wasn't thinking oh I shouldn't be reading this but I was thinking like I love that I'm being trusted with these ideas Mm -hmm. you know like uh, and I felt like I was able to grapple with them enough to realize that you know this is about a lot of stuff and then yeah weirdly that story is it still sticks with me actually and I I still have some of those comics and um, I think just what it what it did in terms of opening up the possibilities of comics as a storytelling medium yeah right so anyway that was that was way early and then you know i was sort of in comics for a while reading i mean um you know mcfarland spider-man and the birth of image and that whole 90s boom yep (laughs) i got about 50 copies of x-men one if you want one by uh, jim lee no 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 i've got plenty of my own (laughs) (laughs) i'm like lining bird cages with it at this point but um (laughs) that that whole thing was just i still find that so fascinating that uh, it was, I think, for a long time it held the it held the record for uh, the amount of issues sold, or issues yeah. printed. I should maybe it was I can't remember, but it was something like fucking three million or something like that. It was something stupid. Uh, and and now when I have conversations like this and people are talking about it, I always find it hilarious because I remember working in a comic shop at the time or shortly after, yeah. and. And for years and years and years later, going through uh, back issues and stuff like that, still seeing diamond boxes full of issue <laughs> one in all the different kind of, you know, different copies. The the gatefold cover, the single issues, it was ridiculous. Yes, yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, what I love about that, though, is like it's it's actually a, a touchstone for so many people who love comics. Yeah. Like we all own that one book, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, have different experiences with it. I mean, I, I think, yeah, through the 90s there, I was collecting pretty hardcore, but I was finishing high school and I think there was a point where particularly, not all of it, but some of the image stuff, like I was just buying almost everything. Yeah. And some of it, I started to feel like I was getting dumber when I was reading it, if you know what I mean, which is sort of the <laughs> yes. complete opposite. Well, it's the complete opposite of the experience I had reading that Hawkeye book all those years ago. You yeah. know? And so I was a bit like, oh, I'm just going to stop for a bit. And, well, I'm just going to stop, actually, is what I said. And then I, I stopped collecting comics for ages then. I mean, I don't, and, you know, I, I was still drawing because I always drew for 
pleasure and, you know, a little bit of stuff at school and that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't until the 2000s, I think, when um, I was working in this dot-com startup thing and, you know, most of my jobs seemed to be about surfing the web. So I came across this uh, review online for Dark Knight Strikes Again yeah. by Frank Miller. And, you know, I had Dark Knight Returns from back in the 80s and so I was like whoa what's this like a sequel like 20 years later or something and um the review was pretty good so I actually went to the bookstore and bought it and you know this was actually my first return to comics because I was like this book is incredible like I think that book is amazing Mm -hmm. Dark Knight Strikes Again and I know it's a fairly divisive maybe but I just reading it as Frank Miller's response to his own work 20 years earlier you know I just think he's incredible anyway so again I'm looking at it going wow look what this guy is doing with the medium you know, and it's it suddenly made me reappreciate everything you can do in comics. And I then, you know, I went to the I went to King's Comics in Sydney, and I mm-hmm. bought like all the trades of Powers by uh, Brian Bendis, and that's Mike a great Amy, book, which is just awesome. And then you know, and then I was just deep into comics, and I've never come out since. So yeah. anyway, that was yeah, that's sort of my history reading. I, I think yeah, I've been drawing, and I always I've always written stories and stuff just for myself. But I you know, in I think it was 2006, Jonathan Hickman brought out his first book. I don't know if you've read that. It's called The Nightly News. No, I haven't actually. Um, I don't, well, maybe I, I can't yeah. remember. I can't remember. It's pretty amazing. And he followed it up almost immediately with another one called Pax Romana. Um, so these two books, which, you know, looked very different to anything that was out there and, you know, heaps of negative space, completely different approach to page design, you know. So I was a bit like blown away. And and obviously, the yeah, the content was incredible as well. Very yeah. thoughtful and kind of provocative so then at this point as well you know podcasts are starting to explode so I'm like trying to search who is this guy Hickman and I found a bunch of interviews with him and sort of hearing his career story like he was a designer and an art director and in in advertising and marketing and you know that's exactly what I was doing right and so and then he just decided after years of wishing he would make comics he decided to start making them and they were incredible so and I was like man this parallels exactly with me I want to make comics yeah so I think I think it was my 30th birthday like exactly on the day like at the place I was working you got your day off your birthday off so my wife went off to work and I was like right I'm making a comic (laughs) and so I just started making a comic on my 30th birthday and yeah it took me uh I think it took me five months to do eight pages which I then submitted to image (laughs) yeah right well you went straight to the big guns um yeah well I mean like I'd done drawing and that but I just and I'd thought about it so much but it never really occurred to me that I could have a go at this yeah and so I think it was just at that point I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna go for it because you know I, I guess my design skills are fairly developed and, um, you know, because I'd been doing design and art direction for a career for like 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those skills are directly transferable to making comics and particularly seeing what Jonathan Hickman was doing, very design-based. You know, I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got a chance here. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but, but it did take me, yeah, five months to do eight pages. And I think at that point the, the process was you submit yeah, five, five or six pages and a synopsis to image and they'll decide whether to move ahead with it. Yep. So, you know, I was thinking, well, obviously nothing's going to happen, but I'll just, I'll send it in anyway. And then Eric Larson actually wrote back to me. Eric Larson's the, he was the publisher at the time. and um, That's right. Creator of Savage Dragon. Yeah, he wrote back and he goes, oh, I like this, I like that. Uh, you know, maybe think about this. And I was just like freaking out that maybe I was going to have to now do this. <laughs> <laughs> I think my wife was even more freaking because it was like, yeah, it had taken so long to do so few pages. And um, anyway, in the end, I guess probably fortunately he decided to pass. But uh, he did give me some good feedback and stuff, which actually sort of spurred me on again. And Was it in an email or did he send you a letter? No, it was email. It wasn't that long ago. But uh, <laughs> Oh, no, I just wanted to yeah, know, like, was... if you had like an Eric Larson signature rejection letter, it would be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I do have the email somewhere. But, yeah, it was. We- I mean, it was pretty much, you know, you read it on the surface level, it's just like that's pure rejection. But I think for me it was like some sort of acknowledgement of the work and the effort. Yeah. And, yeah, he did actually give me some good feedback too on the lettering. Which and- is probably more important than, yeah, and, you know, it sounds like the takeaway you got from it was exactly what you needed to take away from it rather than just going, oh, they don't like my book. Which often I hear a lot of people and, you know, you read about creators and going, oh, I got a million rejection letters but I still kept going. But then mm. there's a whole lot of people who just get a rejection letter and crack the shits. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was, yeah, you know, I knew I was not entitled to have a book published yet. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I actually, I was concerned that it might happen, to be honest, is what I was starting to feel. So, yeah, I sort of, it was with great relief that I was rejected. <laughs> 
and then you know I had I had one other friend who was interested in making comics, and she around that time reached out to me. Her name's Karen Bielhars. She's a, a really talented writer, and she reached out to me. She was organising an anthology about depression mm-hmm. called uh, Kinds of Blue, and she'd written fourteen stories, and she was getting fourteen different artists to do five pages each. So I got to do the first story, the art for the first story in that book, which. Yeah, it was such a great experience, and you know she was a really good collaborator, and the book came out amazing. You've so, got that on on uh, online on your website, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've got my little chapter there, and um, yeah, it's very easy to find kinds of blue if you're looking for it. So you can have a look for that. All 14 chapters are a different take on depression, really. Well, yours was great. Like I read it, not, I you know I read that, and then there was the uh, the red rope. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, which I was which I loved. I thought the red rope was amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. Well, so the red rope was a little bit later. It was um, because I'd, I'd worked on that anthology and I'd actually worked on another one with Karen as well, I think at that point. Um, so I'd done these two little stories and I'd done a few pictures for image, but I, I felt like I hadn't really written and completed anything myself at this point. So that's kind of what the red rope was. It was a basically a short story that I, yeah, that I put online, a different, a new panel it was basically told in single panel pages, so a page with one panel at a time. And I, I put it online, a new panel every day for 70 days Jesus. just to try and, you know, build a little community and build some interest in it and see what would happen, to be honest. So, yeah, which was pretty exciting, actually, because uh, I didn't really think anyone would want to read it. But um, And it was being delivered so slowly, too. Like some of those, <laughs> I remember there was one day where the page was just black. <laughs> and I got like... Yeah, I mean, I, I loved getting hate mail over that because I was like, wow, people actually care. Isn't that cool? So, um, Yeah, but I, I can see the frustration. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was looking forward to putting that black page up to see what would happen, actually. So, it, it you know, it showed me that people were responding to it. So that was it was very exciting. Mm. Yeah, so from there, um, yeah, I'd sort of fiddled with a few other small projects. But then I had my – well, my wife and I had our kids – had our first son in 2011, I think, and – my productivity sort of with comics dropped quite a bit at that point because I was doing it outside of my day job, obviously. Yeah. But he, you know, he really loves stories. I, you know, at one point I was reading him six bedtime stories a night just to get him to go to sleep. And, you know, he always wanted more too. And so we got to this point where he started looking at all my shelves with all the comics on them and he wanted to read some of those. And there weren't that many that were really appropriate for him, if yeah. you know what I mean. So... I'd had a little thought about, oh, maybe I could make him a little comic, you know, and that would be pretty cool and it could have his name in it and it could look a bit like him and then, I don't know, like imagine how cool that would be. So I planned out this little story and then very quickly became a, a huge epic tale and I was like, oh, what am I doing? This is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, you know, I had these little notebooks and so every time, every time we would go on holidays, I'd basically at night, or at lunchtime or whenever he was sleeping, basically I would try and start sketching out this story. And it took me a few years of just sketching on pages on, when I was on holidays and I ended up yeah, developing the story for Action Tank then. And, yeah, it, it was sort of this just really fun little side hobby. And then at my, I'd been at my advertising agency job for about 10 years at that point and I got some long service leave. God, so I got love it. Um, three months off, which three was, months. you know, and... Everyone's like, what are you going to do? And I was, you know, I didn't dare tell them I was going to try and use that time to produce a graphic novel because <laughs> it was a bit embarrassing. Like, is it going to be any good? Like, but that's, that's what I did. And then, yeah. yeah, so I almost finished it in that time. Um, I hadn't really colored it, but I'd, I'd completed the writing and I'd drawn it. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, so, but I'd, I'd basically worked very hard on it. I think my wife thought I was going to have all this time off with her and I, I you know, she's very supportive. So she... Yeah, she allowed me to work on it. And I'm really glad she did because then <laughs> when I got back to when I had to go back to work, I had this book almost ready and so then I tried to work out what to do with it. And you know, I, I approached a few different publishers and stuff like that, but you know, it's a bit at that time it was a bit odd. It was for kids for a start. It was a graphic novel, it wasn't a series and you know, I also I, you know, I was approaching conventional book publishers as well and Yeah. Yeah, so I got some really interesting feedback, interesting response, but in the end no one was quite sure if they want if they wanted to move ahead with it. So um, I'd always wanted to try a Kickstarter campaign, which is basically a crowdfunding platform, because yeah. I've you know I've worked in advertising and marketing for a few years, and I've seen that as quite an interesting platform. So 
Yeah, I combined the hobby of the graphic novel with the interest in crowdfunding and created a campaign for it. And to my shock, I hit my target. And so suddenly I had a thousand of these books in my living room. Spectacular. <laughs> yeah, and I've been selling them ever since, which is, uh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, the conversations around around how much to uh, how much to actually print is always funny, because depending yeah. on on the circles you move in, the conventions that you do, can all you know some a, a lot of a lot of uh, local crew uh, here in Melbourne uh, tend to stick to the lower the lower end of printing, or even printing just a few. Or, you know, I'm going to a convention, yeah. so I'll only print ten or fifteen or twenty. Yeah, and uh, you went the full thousand. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd had like 230 pre-orders through Kickstarter already. So, oh, I was, yeah, that's you know, right. I was thinking, because I feel I felt like this is a product that kids are going to want. You know, I knew my son would want it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, looking around, there's not that much good content. Well, there wasn't then, that's for sure. Uh, it's only, only like three years ago, really. But, yeah, there wasn't that much good content for kids mm-hmm. uh, that is that is also of really good quality, I think. And, you know, I'd spent so long trying to make it as good as possible. And I just sort of thought, well, and actually, the, yeah, the way Kickstarter worked, you know, it, it made more sense to print a thousand financially, to be honest, than to print five hundred. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that was yeah, it was I actually received the books about two and a half years ago. I've pretty much run out of that print run now. So I think I finished the almost finished the second book, very close now. It's um, it's a lot more ambitious in terms of um, what it's trying to do, I think, and pushing myself in all the different ways. But going to Kickstarter, I think, you know, when you when you start to think about it as a product, you know, the series is now the product. So yeah. there's no sense having a thousand copies of book two and not having any of book one. So I need to do a reprint of book one as which, well. Yeah, so. which is my number one gripe for a lot of the times when you go to the local launches and they're launching number three. But it's like, well, where's one and two? You know, I want to read one yeah. and two because this is the first time I'm meeting you. Where's book <laughs> one and two? And I've always, that's always been frustrating uh, for me going to, you know, seeing if it's a one-off, it's one thing. But if you're sitting there and you're going to do a launch with a whole bunch of other creators and you're only bringing along the issue that you're launching that day, it's like, well, yeah. what happens to the person that comes in that's never seen you before, that's heard on the grapevine, turns up to this, sees your and goes, wow, this is really good, number three. And yeah, I understand that it's taken you eight months to do it, but you've got two previous issues that you could have just done a small print run. That's all you really need. Just to bolster, yeah. you know... Because I'd rather buy all three than just number three, particularly if I don't know number one and number two have ever existed before. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and, and you know, book one in the end ended up feeling like it was just a teaser for book two. It really was. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was still trying to work out, you know, the tone and my craft and what sort of style it was going to have, and, that, and and you know, I was really confident with what I what I got together for book one, but I think. Yeah, even by the time I received the print, I was like, man, I think I'm capable of a lot more than this as well. So, you know, that was the idea to lead in, to get people really wanting to read book two. Well, it worked. I could. <laughs> uh, it worked. Well, I should say it works because I did read one and, and I do want to read number two. Uh, I, I did well, that's think, great. <laughs> I, I did think it was interesting, and you mentioned it before, about, uh, the, you know, the, the fact that there isn't anything like this out there. And when I started, when I, I must admit, when I started reading, I went, Oh, this is a book for kids. So I had to, I had to, cha- I actually had to change the way I was looking at it because I'm so used to reading adult material. And 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 the only reason, I, the only reason I bring it up is because, you know, when I look at when I look at my comics and uh, and I think about my daughter, and you know, she's only young, and watching, you know, sitting down and watching television with her, particularly like you know, here in Australia, it's it's ABC Kids. And, you know, yep. it's easy as an adult to go, oh, my God, this is so grueling. This is boring as batshit. Uh, you know, give me something that I'm going to actually relate to. And it took me it took me a little while to adjust, but I was like, hang on a second. This isn't this isn't for you. What the hell are you complaining about? This is for your, for your daughter to to acclimate to the world, to, to, to learn things. And, and so I, th- I think it's actually – when, when, when I started grasping that, Lucky, fortunately, I read your book after that all happened. So I'm reading the book now yep. going, I understand exactly what, what is going on here. Unfortunately, my brain was going, but if this was done as an adult comic, you could do this and this and this and this and this and this, and this <laughs> which I'm sure you went through already, but, or you've, you've already thought about. But, uh, you know, it was, it was remarkable that, uh, that, you know, everything kind of worked. And, yes, it was for kids. And, and you know, my brain, unfortunately – 
kept going, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, you're reading it. You're a grown man, yeah. which was kind of weird <laughs> on another level. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. And, it was, and it's a great idea in that respect because a lot of stuff isn't done for kids, particularly Australian. Or, you know, that have Australianisms in them and things like that. So, And if they do, if they are about kids, they're very far and few between. It's a sm- very, very small group of people that are working on stuff like this. And so... Yeah, yeah. Well, there's yeah. a few, I mean, there's a few things, you know, maybe we could talk about there. So, yeah, I mean, I obviously, I don't really read kids' graphic novels, to be honest. No, I, I, did, I didn't know. think you would. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm always, you know, because I'm looking for... I'm really interested in creators who are really trying to do something interesting with the medium, you mm-hmm. know, and who are trying to express themselves through the work in a way that I haven't seen before. And um, a lot of the time that really avant-garde stuff is happening for grown-ups. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I guess I, what I'm trying to do is get inspired by that, take, take cues from that and try and bring some of that craft into something that is for kids, you know. So still exploring what you can do with the medium, but doing it in a way that uh, – or doing it around subject matter that works for kids. So, I mean, I should – yeah, I should probably explain the story very quickly is, you know, Action Tank is the story of a boy who finds himself on the other side of the solar system and he has to get home in time for his mum's spaghetti carbonara, right? So that's sort of the premise for the first book but actually for the for the series. And, you know, I, I think trying to – what's interesting about writing for kids is that, you know, a lot of the things you would do if you're writing for an adult – you might use violence, you might use certain language, you might use certain visuals, whatever. Like that's a limitation that you can't access when, you, when you're working for kids. So how are you mm-hmm. going to solve this problem creatively in a way that is still satisfying from an artistic point of view but is also like appropriate for kids? So, you know, there's, there's not really a lot of violence in my book. It's more about like, they, you know, he solves problems just through, um, you know, kind of gaming concepts or, yeah. you know, using his... Uh, bravery or his intelligence or just you know luck (laughs) you know things like that it just sort of created this limitation that actually I found opened up new ideas for me yeah the other thing to pick up sorry just is yeah having been the one that's read through a million kids books like there are so many that I just you know just can't handle anymore but there are you know the ones that are really good are the ones I'm always suggesting we read again right so Mm -hmm. you know I was hoping that this is a book that kids can read themselves but also that you know if there are parents reading it to their kids that it's something they don't mind going back to you know and that it feels like maybe there's something for them in there as well um you know i sort of think about it like the way pixar approach their movies yeah um, you know it seems like it's for kids but you know the more time you spend with it the more you realize you know this is a pretty pretty well thought out story actually. yeah i think yeah. I, the, the book that comes to mind when you talk about that is uh the ugly five by julia julia donaldson and i can never remember the oh the, love it yeah. Uh, that that book, and I remember the first time I read it to my daughter, we're going through and reading it, and I'm like going, "Oh, look, they're, they're picking out all the all the ugly animals in the in the African Sahara, you know, in the in the uh, well, in Africa." And it gets to the end, and it completely flips the the whole thing. So the whole way through, it's just like all the good all the good looking animals that everybody loves is like, "I'm oh, check this dude out, check this chick out." And then at the end, it, it just flips the whole idea of you know. It's now coming from the perspective of these particular animals that have been derided. They're, they're kids saying, no, but you're so much more than what, you know, what everybody else is telling you. And that absolutely floored me. I almost started crying the first time I read that damn book. And yep. it was such a – it was just like, wow, it was so powerful. Well, I think that's, that's, that's the great thing about writing for kids. Like you can actually sneak up on adults, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> they're just reading it unsuspecting and then you can actually sort of hit them with something that they don't really expect – yeah, it's, will it, affect them. It's know? it's such a great such a great. Uh, well, that in particular was a great. I, I just I couldn't believe it. It floored me. Like even now, I'm thinking about. It, I'm like, I don't know what to say about it because it did such a great job. Uh, a few of the other ones that, uh, by Julie Johnson are great. They they're good, uh, but none of them have had the, the impact or as much impact as that one for me. Uh, there yeah. are other, there are a whole bunch of other a slew of other books that we've gone through and we've read and they're you know like you say they're par for the course they're just like oh yeah whatever yeah. Um, it's just another children's story you can read and it, you know to to uh, to indoctrinate our children into reading um, <laughs> which makes it sound bad but, but you know ultimately I would love for my daughter to pick up comics at some point in in yeah. the future whether as a as a creator herself or or just as a reader or someone to, something else uh, another thing to enjoy. Um, but, you know, that's, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about books and about art is like, you know, 
something doesn't work for you or your daughter, but it might work for me and my son or like, you know, it might not work for me now. It might work for me in three weeks, you know, like I just think that's what's so powerful about it. And like, Hmm. yeah, I mean, you think about something like Dr. Seuss, you know, which um, seems really sort of superficial at first, but like there are just so many ideas in those books and like the command of language and, you know, even the use of negative space, like it's just, um, yeah, the more time you spend with it, the more you can appreciate it no matter what age you are. You've used a lot of, a lot of negative space in, in book one in particular. And and you also mentioned well, it in terms of Jonathan Yeah, Hickman, Jonathan Hickman say. uses a lot of negative space for a start. <laughs> like, uh, what is it about negative space that really kind of uh, makes, you, makes you regularly use it? So I guess it's partly through that direct influence. But I, but I also, you know, um, to me, that is a, that's a t- tool in the comic making, you know, toolbox that a lot of people just neglect completely, you know, normally, not normally, but you can open, open a page and it's just overwhelming the amount of color and lines and word balloons and, you know, stuff everywhere. And I think, yeah, I was, I was trying to design uh, Action Tank really as a bit of a gateway to comics for kids as well. And so mm-hmm. trying to make it something you want to look at and it's really clear where your eyes meant to go, yeah. you know, so sort of using negative space as a design element, but also a storytelling element, you know, when it's, when there's nothing there, like you sort of, you've got to focus on what is there and you've got to maybe ask yourself, or you're not, maybe you're not specifically asking yourself, but you might, your mind might be wondering why is that blank? Why is there nothing there? You know, and I think all of that can work to yeah, build the impact of the story really. Talking about Hickman, I do, I have found it interesting that, even even in his current work, he's just concluded the uh, the X Men. Oh yeah, business, I haven't read any of that yet. Can't afford it. It is. <laughs> um, it is I'm it, looking forward to the collection. It is actually phenomenal. There's there's stuff that he's yeah. done in there that is remarkable. Not only from the perspective of what he's done and how he's put it together, but also from the perspective of Marvel have signed off on on some of the stuff yeah. that he's done, and it's just like wow, like why is it taking you this long to let someone do this? Um, you know, but he's just brought it all together and, and he used a lot of design elements in it. And on, on some level, having been in the industry, in the design industry years and years ago myself, uh, I, I look at some of the stuff that he's done and I, and I understand that there is an absolute reason. There is a reason he's put all this extra stuff in there. He did it. He did it. I think he was testing the waters a lot with the uh, Black Monday murders. Black Monday murders, um, yeah. And where he's he's used, you know, very there are a lot of pages with a lot of information, but set out and you know typeset and he's done is it's all specifically done. But half the time, as a comic reader, as a long time comic reader, I can't help myself but just flip through those pages and go, ah, oh, where's the art? Where's the story? You know, <laughs> it's like this is just if I want to read a book, I'll get a book. He didn't do it as much in uh, Black Monday Murders, but he used it to really great effect in the X Men books. But again, the, the way that the way that the, the books are designed aren't necessarily set out like a comic book. So he's he's done a lot of really um, I don't want to say groundbreaking because the, the the ground has already been broken. But I just I just find that part sometimes hard to deal with because it's I don't know if I feel a little bit cheated. Or, yeah. you know, and, and that's, I mean, that's completely different from, uh, from, you know, the negative space uh, used in, in, uh, in other ways in terms of like when you want to show scale or, mm-hmm. uh, or the vastness of something um, in particular. So, yeah, yeah I just, uh, that, that, the, the negative kind of space and, and, and being able to focus your eye or the reader's eye, I've always found kind of interesting, but in Hickman's case... Yeah. I've always kind of felt a little bit, a little bit cheated because the story is so good. Because the story is so good, and it's like, no, no, I want more story. Yeah. You know, I get this is all background information, but you know, I'm, I want to buy a comic. <laughs> yeah, but okay, but so book. the Black Monday Murders is like, you know, some of those issues are like twice as long as normal issues. You know, and yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think he's, you know, why I'm so fascinated with him is because he is an amazing artist, amazing writer, you know, very gifted designer, but he's actually, you know. He thinks so much about the business of being an independent or not necessarily independent now, but, a, you know, being a, a comic creator. And I think he's very realistic about what that takes. You know, he basically quit his job and started and he somehow turned it into a very successful career. But, you know, he's he's not 
he's not afraid to explain the difficulties and sort of, you know, I've just found his, I guess you would call it like thought leadership in that area to be just so yeah. helpful, you know? Well, I suppose it helps if you don't have a, if you don't have a net, <laughs> if you don't have something, if you don't have a backup, um, it's going to, yeah, you just got to produce, yeah. you just got to get it, get it done. It's got to succeed. I mean, that's, yeah, it's kind of, uh, a huge amount of pressure, but I guess he's managed to uh, deliver, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm not knocking him. I'm not knocking him. I think he's I think I think he's actually quite remarkable and a formidable creator. And just reading those the last twelve issues of the X Men books that he's written is, uh, like I said before, done in such an amazing way, and he's done things that nobody else has ever done before. And I, it was the book that I was reading every week first. Yeah, and it was just like, no, I've got to read this one. Not only because I don't want to hear or read spoilers, but because it has, it is, he's done some amazing things with just with just characters that people usually just kind of flob them off and go, yeah, whatever, you know, oh, that's yeah. a, you know, that's a, a C list character, and and he did, you know, he just turned everything upside down and created other shit like from the far future and it was just uh it was remarkable it was a remarkable piece of work and it will and you know people have been saying that it's the next big kind of uh totem in the x-men kind of law the last one was grant morrison's uh mm-hmm. many years oh that was ago. amazing yeah I'm, i, don't I mean yeah hickman is a, he's an ideas machine right i think at some point i had to remove him from being my the guy I'm trying to be right because um I realize <laughs> I have maybe some different strengths to him and um <clears throat> not the same uh not the same skills in some ways and different skills in other ways so you know it's, it's been useful to have him as a bit of a you know a guy who's you know I guess 15 years ahead of me or 10 years ahead of me or whatever in terms of his his path mm-hmm. and to learn learn what I can from it but I think you know, even even the negative space stuff in my book, I you know I could probably have told Action Tank Book One in, in about forty pages if I had to, you know, yeah. because it was meant to be really welcoming for kids, and because I you know I was actually trying to create a, a bit of a sense of place as well, like this you know he he sort of feels like he's the only him and a few others are the only ones on this planet, you know, which and, which comes off r- remarkable, it, it actually and and it works and and I think you've nailed it. Yeah, so just sort of using that space to to do that and so sort of stretching out the storytelling a bit so that it lands right on a hundred pages. But then, you know, I think everyone reading it is surprised that they've got through it in like 25 minutes. Book two is 256 pages and it's, Holy um, shit. yeah. And I've broken it up into four chapters so that it's a little less overwhelming. I get like, it's not meant to feel overwhelming. I think it moves very fast again, like the first book, but just holding it in your hand, I think it, it could seem like, Oh man, I'm going to have to set aside a day for this when actually, you know, you don't need a day. For, you, it's probably probably an hour max to get through it. Did you think um, about cutting it into two, making two and three? Uh, I did. I mean, I yeah, I still have places I want to take the story, and I, I you know, I think to be honest, um, the realities of making a graphic novel like this uh, in Australia with no no publishing contract. I'm supporting myself for it, I guess. You know, I just yep. thought I may never get to make another book. You know, I mean, hopefully I do, but like I sort of had to treat it like this is, I've got to put everything into this. So I don't, you know, I don't think I was indulgent with the amount of stuff in there or whatever, but I was just, there were a few different things I wanted to try. And basically, yeah, it's got sort of four key macro scenes in it, I suppose. And each of those has a point and, you know, each, each of them sort of is where I try a few different things with the medium and stuff. So, and, and I really just wanted it to be a really satisfying read. You know, I felt like maybe with the first book, for the younger kids, they loved it. For maybe the 11 and 12-year-olds, I think they felt like, okay, where's the next bit? Where's the next bit? You know, and they've had to wait like two and a half years for it. So oh, that's like, I guess that, I wanted that's to really... like forever for a kid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they've probably <laughs> forgotten that it exists. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I guess I really want to reward that patience and sort of make this one, particularly for the slightly older kids, feel heaps more fulfilling and satisfying. You're right. Yeah, I mean, my yeah, I work a lot at my parents' house and during the day, and my um, my dad's often asking why I didn't just cut it in two, as he makes me my third coffee for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the only reason I say that is, is it would have then allowed you to, kind of, you know, considering it's already double in size, then the, you know, bigger than the, the first book, if you separate yeah. it into two, couldn't you have then uh, released two? Uh, and then you would have had three and then you could have worked on four and it would have just given you a bigger timeline to kind of get it going in that respect rather than... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think 
there are definitely points. Like, you know, there's four chapters I could have cut in the middle at the end of chapter two, but I guess I just felt like, you know, it doesn't feel like we've hit the point of the story. Like we, the whole thing needs to work together for me. And yeah, right. So I guess I think, I think of it more like, like a novel where basically if you gave someone the first half of a novel and then, I don't know, just I, I want it to feel like it's a, a complete thing. You know, I guess I'm trying to think long-term about this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm trying to demonstrate my, my work ethic, my commitment to developing something that is good, show that I can do something that's a bit longer and, you know, so um, sort of what I showing what I can do as well. You're listening to Graphic Nature and we're speaking with Mike Barry and we'll be right back after this very short message. Indie Comic Con, a one-day event celebrating a vibrant and diverse comic book scene here in Melbourne, showcasing a wide selection of comics, zines, graphic novels and prints across all genres. A day for all ages and the entry is free. The Market Festival, Saturday the 21st of December from 11am to 4pm and art workshops are available on Sunday the 22nd of December from 12pm to 5pm and they're at the Kathleen Syme Library and bookings are essential via the website. Indie Comic Con, Saturday 21st and Sunday the 22nd of December at the Northcote Town Hall, 189 High Street, Northcote. For more info, check out IndieComicCon.com.au. Indie Comic Con, supporting graphic nature. So you mentioned you work a lot uh, at your folks' place. Is it a designated space or can you work kind of anywhere? Um, yeah, it's pretty designated. I mean, they're retired now and, you know, I just use their, their dining table most of the time. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, but it, it's not like a, a workspace where, you know, you have your books and references and all that kind of stuff around you. Oh, right. Well, depending on the stage, I guess. So, uh, when I was writing, I, I never really came here. I was just all over the place cause, um, you know, just write on my phone, on my laptop. And then I actually, you know, I guess I got several stages of writing. I sort of, I plot everything very quickly mm-hmm. in like a, a Google doc or whatever, but then I'm trying to move to planning out the scenes really. And, um, I sort of have to do that with a, with a sketchbook. So, I sort of plan my words and images at the same time. So, you know, each page needs to kind of, you got to have a reason to turn the next page. So I'm sort of building every page kind of from the, the bottom right corner back up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so I just think about it in different chunks. I think about it in chunks of the double page. And then I think about it in terms of the, the sequence, which is maybe four or five of those pages together. And then I think about it in terms of the chapter, which is bigger than that. So, yeah, when I'm doing all that planning and the sketching and the thumbnailing, you know, I sort of did that all over all over Sydney in different cafes or libraries or, you know, anywhere really. But then when it came to actually doing the art, you know, I sort of scan in all my thumbnails and I, I go straight into Photoshop to just make a much cleaner line. Yeah, right. Um, and I generally just do that, yeah, here at the old dining table. Oh, so, you, so you're using Photoshop to kind of to go over the, the thumbnails? Yeah, so the I, thumbnails are pretty you... loose. Like some of them have a lot of detail. Some of them are just like, you know, <laughs> draw city here. <laughs> you know, just whatever I think can be the quickest and most effective way to, to create something. Yeah, I mean, I draw a lot of the figures. I sketch a lot of the figures, but then, you know, a lot of the scenes and the background and the details are sort of just do straight in Photoshop. Yeah, right. All right. Oh, I suppose yeah. it's... Well, well, look, I, th- I think colour plays a big role in this series as well. Um, yeah. And sort of doing the art in black and white, it, it you know, it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. You really need the colour to complete what's going on. So, and, you know, I just fairly fast and proficient in Photoshop, particularly for stuff like colouring. So I kind of can't wait to get to that stage because it really completes each of the scenes, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, just trying to, trying to look look at how fast I can produce the book really. And so anything that's not necessary, I just won't do. So how, how did this book come along? Did you, did you take time off or? Yeah. So the first one, um, when the first one came out, I, I was at my agency job for about eight more months after that, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd planned the, um, I'd planned what I was going to do for the second and actually the third books as well, but I hadn't really gone into detailed writing. And then, you know, a few things happened at, at my job and yeah, there's an opportunity to, to leave in a good way, I guess. Okay. So, right. um, let's not go into that further. Yeah, no, it was fine. I mean, you know, I had a great, great time there in this, but it, it sort of felt like book one was doing a lot more than I thought it would. You know, I, I really didn't know what to expect from doing it. I really just wanted to make it and have my son read it, but then, you know, lots of other people are reading <laughs> yeah. it and all sorts of other stuff's happening with it. So it, it's sort of, and, and, you know, I'm really lucky that I, I married well, you know, she's really smart and strategic. She was sort of like, you know, well, it's kind of like, this is a bit of a, she was very supportive of the idea that, you know, well, we have some momentum. It's kind of now or never really, if you want to be, yeah. if, if you want to be doing this. So 
we kind of just stepped out a bit in faith and, and went for it. And so I've been doing a bit of freelance work and consulting work in the content strategy space and, um, you know, some of the stuff I used to do at the agency. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've really been trying to produce the second book. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's taken probably longer than I thought it would. Yeah, I guess I was looking fondly back at what it took to do book one and I'd sort of forgotten that it took me ages and ages to write it with no expectation that I would actually ever draw it. And then, <laughs> you know, the, of the two years it's taken to do this, I think about eight months were writing and thumbnailing. So, oh, wow. um, you know, I really spent a long time trying to make it good because like I said, it's, it's, um, it's sort of a, a big, a big play really from me in terms of, you know, halting my, my career progress and stuff like that. How does your brain deal? Or how do you deal with, you know, having to work on your, like all these freelance jobs and then having to work on the book? Like, has there ever been with it, was it, uh, I'm working on, I'm working on Action Tank, but I really should be doing work on this consultancy job that I've got. Or is it like when you're working the consultancy job, are you going like, all I want to really do is work on Action Tank, but I've got to do this. Like, how did you work through all of that? There was a lot I loved about my um, advertising role. You know, I was mm-hmm. a, I was a creative director there. I ran like a creative team. So I had a team that I spent a lot of time with and I invested a lot of time in and, you know, we would collaborate a lot. And, you know, working on a graphic novel is like when you're doing everything yourself, you know, it's it's kind of zero collaboration. So I don't mind that. I actually love it. But I did kind of like having it broken up a little bit by these consulting jobs where I effectively go and join a client team for a couple of months and help upskill them or help develop some thinking for them or something like that. And, you know, really become, get to know them, become a bit part of their team. And it's a very collaborative situation. Mm-hmm. You know, but doing that as well, stuff starts bubbling in my subconscious about what I'm going to do when I get back to the book, you know. And so I find having those two things in balance actually really helps. You know, I think I probably would have gone a bit insane just doing the book for two years straight. Yeah, <laughs> I get um, it. I get it. I've actually found it, you know, it's I, I, it's a real joy, to be honest, to be able to balance the two. But it's hard because consulting, you need to be generating new business and that takes a lot of effort and sometimes stuff comes off and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, when it comes off, it's great because you go, okay, I've got this project coming up. That'll be three weeks or this will be however long. So then I can schedule my book work around that. And, you know, so then I, then I feel like I'm the king. I'm like really organized. I'm being productive in both ways. I'm actually supporting the family, you know, all of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh, I guess at different times, you know, the two, you know, the books had less progress or the consulting's gone quiet or whatever. So it's just sort of trying to, I think it's good having, having the book because if, if my whole life was consulting and then there was a quiet period, I'd probably be massively stressed and like, but you know, it's actually, I sort of look at it as a bit of a gift of time to then pour back into this other product, which will hopefully pay other dividends in the future. You know? Yeah. Nice. It, it just, it just, you know, for me, a lot of the times it strikes me as, as interesting when, when I'm speaking to someone who's working on a book, but you know, or whether they do something that's completely different to what they're talking about in their book, uh, as, mm. as a day job and then having to come together and, you know, whether they use what they learn in their day-to-day job, whether they use that and inform uh, what's happening in their books. Uh, and I suppose on some level it might work for you, but on mo- on a, l- a lot of it, it probably won't. No, actually it does. I mean, I think this is the thing since um, when you're sitting here drawing for like eight or nine hours a day every day, you have plenty of time to ruminate, right? So, mm-hmm. you know... And I've found I've thought about different things over the period, right? So, but now I'm getting to the to the end and, you know, I mean, and this is the other thing, like, you know, <laughs> starting a project is all like exciting and energy and, you know, actually finishing something like this is actually much more about determination and discipline, yeah. you know, than it is about inspiration. <laughs> no, you I know? feel and, you there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, I obviously love doing it. I'm, you know, I'm thrilled that I'm this far through it, but I'm, you know, it doesn't mean it's always easy and it's, you know, sometimes it's it's very solitary when you're trying to like crack a scene or like just get that bit of dialogue right. And like who else wants to hear about that? No one. Like <laughs> you know, my wife has been working all day, like looking after the kids and running the household and, you know, and then she's got five minutes at night to relax. She doesn't want me to say, now help me solve this little problem. You know, it's just all in your head, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, but I, I think actually what I've been able to do is work out through this couple of years what my what my kind of core creative purpose is you know the thing that I want everything to to branch out of you know it's kind of this um yeah it's sort of this idea of creating a space where creativity 
unlocks or awakes or, you know, because I think in my, you know, if you've ever read a, an amazing book or heard some amazing music or seen a movie that, you know, inspires you to the point that you suddenly, you just feel like you have to go and start creating yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? If my books could do that for someone, like that would be, you know, what a privilege that is, right? Yeah. But I think actually that same purpose works in my consulting work where, you know, I'm I'm basically trying to equip, inspire, help someone look at something differently, you know, get them to the point where they are themselves ready to create, you know, and then, um, yeah, like my business is called Mike Barry Was Here because the idea is I come in and I help and then I leave again and you know I was there because you're, you're doing things differently or it's better or, you know, it's kind of like leaving leaving an impression and then moving on and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the same thing I want with my books. I want someone to read it and it sort of sticks with them and it somehow changes them. You know? With the second book coming out and you, you, you mentioned you've planned the third one? Yes, well, I... I um, I know how the story ends and we are a lot closer to that at the end of the second book than we were at the first. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it'll be one more book, but I, I'm i not quite sure how or when I'm going to tackle that just yet. I guess I'm trying to uh, make book two as well, satisfying yeah. as possible and actually, you know, hopefully the Kickstarter will be successful. So mm-hmm. I then have, you know, my books that I can then start getting out there into the world and then I guess I'll... I'll sort of assess how I'm going to deliver book three. So when we're talking about book two, let's say for instance, and uh, in terms of promotion, like how are you getting it out? Are you are you doing cons in Sydney and, and interstate? Uh, how are you looking at approaching uh, promotion for book two? And I, I suppose uh, book one as well, considering that yeah. not everybody might know about it. Since I've had book one, I've been doing as many conventions and book fairs and zine fairs and whatever else I can. And basically just taking that one product, right? So, but but also at places like that, you know, there is not a lot of stuff for kids. So, you know, if there are families there, they're all coming to my table, you know, let the kids pick it up and have a look at it. And generally a lot of people want to buy it, you know. So it, it's been quite an exciting experience to like to meet those readers and they, or meet those people. They then buy the book, they become readers, they then reach out to me and explain what they liked or, you know, they want to hear when the next book's coming or, you know, and I've sort of got an email list. I've got um, an Instagram account and, um, a few things like that. So just, you know, generally trying to build an audience around book one who are anticipating book two. You know, I've sort of been lucky enough to meet some other great Australian creators and, you know, some other novelists and kids books writers and all sorts of people, you know, through through just having book one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I guess I'm hoping I can pull as many of those levers as possible when it comes to firstly the Kickstarter campaign because that's basically 30 days where you've got to raise your funds to cover the printing, yeah. right? but the way you do it is by getting people to pledge pre-orders. When we hit the pledge target, then all, all of your credit cards activate, and I get sent like the, you know, the amount for the book or something. Um, <laughs> it's a wonderful so it's thing, kind, isn't it's, it? Well, it's kind of like a giant market test. It's like if yeah. not enough people want this, then nothing's going to happen, and no one has to pay anything. But if enough people do, then this is exciting. And and I think the great thing about Kickstarter is you're sort of building a community around the book. Yeah, you know, just through the the excitement of being part of something, you know, I think with my first campaign, I didn't have as many, I didn't know as many people who were interested in this thing. You know, I think I was very lucky that I've got a lot of supportive friends and family who sort of got the momentum going and then a few other people started discovering it. Um, But I'm interested to see what happens with the book two campaign because I, you know, I wonder if uh, as many of my friends are going to be like, oh, let's help him with his cute little project or if, you know, if I... (laughs) If I've given the perception of enough success that they think I don't need their help, so. <laughs> which is a problem, which it, which can actually work against you, which is remarkable, isn't it? Well, the irony is I probably need their help more now. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I, you know, um, certainly none of my friends are any, under any obligation to uh, to buy a book, but um, you know, I think I'm lucky. A lot of people have been really supportive and excited about what I'm doing because it's sort of a mid-career flip in some ways and not something I ever ever expected but I guess through a series of circumstances that's that's where I am and I'm you know sort of excited about what comes you know what about in terms of getting your book into schools have you thought about have you tried to breach that and get get into uh educational programs or anything like that for, for younger children primary school yeah maybe? so I I developed a um comic making workshop uh, around book one, really. So I, I use the characters and the story there to sort of demonstrate how you can make your own comic. Yep. Um, and I've been doing that in schools and libraries and bookshops and 
you know, all different places, yeah, for pretty much two years. So I've made a bunch of connections at, at schools and with librarians in particular who are just awesome. Librarians are so good. Like, <laughs> I had no idea what they do at schools, but, like, teacher librarians are just, you know, they're unbelievable, you know. Their passion for reading and for kids literacy and for really good quality content is just uh, it's so inspiring they they, they are and uh, librarians are a secret order they are they oh, are man. Yeah, they exactly. actually a secret order and uh, <laughs> if you there are there is information online uh, on you know that you can read into but in certain parts of the world librarians have some of the highest powers should anything happen to the world it's remarkable <laughs> Wow, yeah, and they know which book to read, no matter what the situation. So that's uh, that's handy as well. It's yeah, um, remarkable. But yeah, so, yeah, so, so you have. You know, I, guess, I guess I've sort of built all these, all these little networks, which um, I have no idea how how much support I'll get out of them. But I'm going to try and mine every single one of them, I guess, because mm-hmm. you know, they, a lot of these pockets of pockets of readers, and you know, like basically, if you get into like, you know, I know a couple of kids who basically get their whole class to buy the book you know like it's pretty exciting when um you suddenly notice a big influx of orders from a suburb you know and you're like yeah, right. oh wow <laughs> or you know going and doing a workshop at a school like i did one in um down south in new south wales south new south wales and there were like you know i think 180 people 180 kids in the workshop you know and it was just like it was manic but it was so fun and like you know how many of those hang kids on hang on hang on did you say you had 180 kids in the one workshop, yeah, like I had the whole of I had the whole of year four and some of year five, and like it was. Just, I mean, you know, I had some teachers helping wrangle, but you know, I think the reality is when you're at school and someone comes in and says we're going to make comics for ninety minutes, you know, like you're the, like I'm the best part of their term. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, so they're really into it, you know. And and the thing is, they're allowed to go nuts because like as long as they're actually being productive and creative, like I don't mind if they're laughing and screaming and you know. And it ends up being a really great experience for them and for me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so if they discover the book that way, that's exciting as well. That is a great idea. That was my wife's idea again. You know, we uh, the first bookshop we ever approached, you know, they looked like, oh, yeah, we'll take a few. And then Jen's like, oh, and he can do, he can run workshops for kids in the school holidays as well. And I was like, can I? <laughs> <laughs> can I really? And anyway, but uh, they said, all right. So then, yeah, they've actually been, so that was the first bookshop I got into, which was uh, Harry Hartog at, uh, Warringah Mall in Sydney and you know they've bought heaps of my books since then and I've run like a couple of workshops there and so stuff like that you know just all these opportunities I didn't realize would come have come that's great and I suppose now it's it's uh, easier to hit up a lot of those places and just say hey I can do a workshop my new book's coming out I can uh, I can do something I suppose it's just gonna help you in the end won't it yeah I mean exactly I you know to be honest I haven't thought that much past the kickstarter yet but um yeah it is exciting to think once I have the books what else I can start to do to to you know, build the the action tank series awareness and that sort of thing. Now that now that you've got well, virtually number two in the bank, uh, are you working on? Are you thinking about working on uh, you know adult material? Are you looking to stay in the kids arena? Are you are you possibly wanting to change it up and maybe like what's what's next after? You know, I'm I'm like I guess you've got book three, but you know, aside from that, are you looking at other other ideas? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've developed a few other pitches with with people and without people in the past. They've all been for grown-ups. Well, grown-ups, sorry, adults, just normal people. <laughs> um, well, grown-ups you know, is a loose I, I term. Worked on one, I worked on one earlier this year where I was the writer and, you know, I worked with another artist and, you know, I think we did a great job on that. I, you know, we didn't get we didn't get any – we didn't get picked up or whatever. We got a little bit of feedback. But, um, you know, that was for, for adults. So I think, you know, I think in – in my heart of hearts, I'm just a, like I'm really into the storytelling. So yeah. I love writing. Um, I like that I can execute art well enough that I can tell the story. But I don't know if, yeah, I don't really know if I just want to do cartooning, which is writing and drawing yourself. You know, I'm, I'm definitely I love the collaboration that you get from a partnership because you get stuff you didn't expect and mm-hmm. you know it pushes me into new places. So. You know, I still think the the kids' graphic novel area is just a giant opportunity, and like, particularly if you're trying to do something that is just awesome, you know, really high quality, really something that adults will like too. You know, I think that's that's still a huge opportunity. But I have like a Google Doc full of a million pitch ideas and story ideas, and you know, that I don't know if I'll ever get to them. You know, yeah. So, but I would love to do that. I would, you know, I'd love to have multiple projects going. I think that's a really healthy way to 
to be as a creative person. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. I think a lot of people kind of get, you know, they get really get sucked into one project and it consumes them. And if they're not too careful, it kind of, you know, they kind of just get stuck and stuck and just re-editing and reworking and fixing and, and all this other kind of stuff. I've seen so many art, art, um, artistic people, creative people do that. And it's a real shame. It's a real shame that they just keep returning the same old shit when it's actually, you know, I've always found that it's, it's, it's finish it. If it's shit, you learn. You use those lessons to inform your next piece of work. And that's yeah. pretty much just how it works, really. In, in life, any anything, anything, whether it's creative or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, who knows? Who knows what's ahead? But I, you know, I think I'll probably, um, I'll probably rethink. I've got, I, I've got format ideas for book three that maybe are a little bit different to what, um, what's happening in book two. Um, just because, again, you know, I sort of want, I want the whole series to demonstrate kind of everything I'm capable of. You know, so. If there's stuff I feel like I still haven't got to in book two, I'll definitely want to want to be executing that sort of thinking in book three. Yeah, and I suppose that's the other aspect of it. And you just brought something to light uh, that this is effectively a, a resume. Uh, yeah, it's a body know, and, of work. Yeah, exactly. it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes, even I, I sometimes, not being a creator myself, I sometimes forget that effectively everything that you produce has your name that has your name on it. Uh, can effect- effectively show other people what you can and cannot do or can and are willing to do. I don't know why I've never thought of that before. Just kind of go, yeah, this this might lead to other projects that you just have no idea. It might, you know, hell, yeah, someone well, might. I mean, it's, it's actually... Go on. Well, I think, I, yeah, just the idea of the body of work, like, um, you know, it's the only way to, it's the only way to try and progress in some sort of comic career is to keep generating more work, mm. you know, because then people see what capable of and what you're trying to do and you know maybe see something in you that they want to work with or you know or at a minimum you're building your own audience you know and you know the more you build your own audience the more you don't really need anyone else you know uh not not to say i wouldn't want anyone else i definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah there's no there's no clear career path in comics you can't go on linkedin and find you know comic writer as a job and just apply, you know, it doesn't work that oh, way. Oh man, how awesome yeah. would that be? They would, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I've looked. But... <laughs> you know what? I never yeah, even thought know. to look. I never even thought to look. Yeah. Well, when you get when you get when you get desperate, you look anywhere, you know. So, I suppose you um, do. Yeah. Not that I'm desperate. I just mean like, you know, I think when I've... you want something so bad, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been, I've been, like I said, I started on my thirtieth birthday trying to do this, and so that was like twelve years ago. So. You know, I've sort of been doing it ever since, but you know, and I feel like it's been a success because it's it's kept uh, I've kept learning, and you know, I can look at what I did early on, and you know, see the improvement, and also see that I've sort of found a bit more of what my voice is, and yep. I've got more of a sense of how to do it as a sustainable business if I get the opportunity. You know, I think all of that stuff's really important. You know, it's easy to just think about I'm going to write the greatest Daredevil series in the world, but like, how do you how do you um, how do you do it as in, in a sustainable way that supports your family? You know, I'm not 20 anymore. Yeah. You know, I've sort of got responsibilities, so I have to approach it that way. And I think that's, I think that, that is a, a, an obstacle that a lot of creators have to kind of work around and have to deal with as part of the, you know, part of their creative process, I guess, is to uh, mitigate any impact that they would have on any dependents or, or, uh, mm. you know, family. Uh, it's, it's, it's really tough. I mean, I've, I've often entertained the idea of getting into comics myself, but, and I've said it to many people, it's just impossible. The way I kind of figure it is at this stage of my life, the amount of energy I would need to pour into something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's huge. It's huge. I, I, I was cleaning uh, through, I was cleaning some stuff out <laughs> only a couple of weeks ago and I found thumbnails to a book that I was that I was going to be that I was going to you know inverted commas going to be working on um, <laughs> you know eight page layouts and you know story plots and you know half a script and it was just like holy shit I completely forgot I was working on this but um, it's like well I don't have time now and, and I don't know when I'm going to and so it just goes goes back into the folio of unfinished things that I've done in my life and so I congratulate you on all the work that you've put into this book. It's it's uh, it's it's really it's really amazing and it's inspiring and particularly from the perspective of of uh, garnering it to children because again like you say and many other people I you know I, I look at 
kids TV, as I was mentioning earlier. And there's so much good stuff out there. Yes, there's a lot of kind of mediocre shit, but there's a lot of really good stuff out there. And you just go, wow, you know, who would have thought? It's it it is it's a remarkable thing, and, and I'm glad I'm glad you're doing it. No, thanks, man. To to sustain the energy you need, and to you know be able to think about things in a fresh way when really you're just sitting at the same table day after day. You know, you do need that. You need that input of um, other people's perspective and thinking. And you know, like I said, I mean, probably for most people that make comics in Australia, you know, I I don't know how many people they can sit down and talk for an hour with about making comics like I, I don't have anyone in my life like that really yeah. that I see regularly I mean um so I think but I think it's really important you know it's important to hear how people are making it work from a you know from a business point of view as well mm-hmm. and you know also what it's really inspiring to hear what drives people creatively because it does it does take a almost superhuman effort to actually complete any kind of comic work you know like to any sort of quality but most people are so used to just consuming high quality content that you know they don't really and they don't need to, but they you know they don't really think about what it takes to make something like that. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I've spoken to to many many people on and off the mic about that and just how tough it is for for creators to actually get stuff done because it's not you know as you mentioned a couple of times you know it's sight unseen it's only from your mind you don't even know if anyone's going to give a shit. Uh, and you know, and so you're you're putting a lot of faith, you know, and and it is, it's you're putting a lot of faith in your in yourself uh, to complete it, and sometimes to and you know with the with the hope of someone actually, you know, enjoying it. And I spoke to, I can't remember who it was, but uh, they they've turned around and they said, you know, all it takes is one or two people to sit there and go, mm-hmm. wow, this this was uh, amazing, or this really changed my life, or. You know, uh, I it it moved me, or you know, whatever the whatever the compliment it is, but but it really only ever takes one person to in, to say, hey man, that was really cool, or that was you know, I loved it to kind of make it all worthwhile, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, well, it's true, and if there's one person that feels that way, then there are other people that feel that way. Yeah, you know, that way. they just haven't found it yet, or you haven't found them. Uh, have you thought of actually? What, what about uh, internationally? Have you thought of uh, promoting it some way uh, by? publishers or small press publishers in the states or in canada or in england i have thought about that i guess i um i wasn't i tried to approach a few of them I, you know i'm not quite sure if i was doing it the right way i think you know i guess in my mind potentially having two books is a more interesting proposition anyway it's sort of because like you know if book one is cool it's but it, it's you know it's over pretty quick is how i sort of feel about it compared to the scope of the story I've got in my head, you know. So I feel like book two demonstrates a bit more, you know, what series is really about. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, again, having having both the books, then suddenly, you know, new opportunities open up and whether that's just trying to get it in front of the the, uh, the eyes of people over in, uh, you know, America or Europe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm definitely interested in doing that. I've got to think of a smart way to do it. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it's not as easy <laughs> easy done as as it is to say it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's plenty. Like one thing I did notice when I initially, before I went to Kickstarter for book one, I was trying to approach American publishers like First Second and uh, Scholastic Graphics, yep. all those guys doing graphic novels for kids. Yeah. And you know, I think the vibe I was getting was like, if you're trying to approach them cold, you kind of need an agent. Mm-hmm. And to get an agent, they're like, yeah, but I've got a million people in America who want me to represent them. Why am I going to take a chance on some random from Australia who, you know, I can't even see his face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's just all too hard for them. And I understand that. So that's kind of why I thought, you know, I've just got to keep producing a body of work here that, you know, in time will open up new opportunities. And it definitely has already. And so, you know, maybe it will keep doing. I think also, you know, yeah. even just, even just uh, getting in the door and having them read an email kind of picks their interest and go, oh, okay, so, at least now they know that you're there. Mm, yeah, for sure. Rather yeah. than rather than you just sitting here and just promoting, you know, pumping out work and and no one actually giving a shit anywhere else other than Australia. Yeah, that's right. And you know, the way I'm planning to promote my Kickstarter for book two, you know, I'm hoping um, some of that promotional stuff may may reach uh, overseas. You know, even if it's just through social media. Yeah. I have no idea if it will, but you know, I'm taking a few creative chances on my campaign this time, but I sort of <laughs> I sort of felt like uh, you know, I might as well, you know, I've put so much into the book, I might as well um, 
put a lot of myself into the campaign as well. So that's kind of what I'm doing. You, you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want to kind of contact San Diego and get a booth up there and and uh, head head up in July and kind of stick a stick a chair behind a table and push your book. Oh way. man, I would love to do that. I, but you know, I think uh, I wouldn't know if San Diego is the right one to do. I mean, it seems like that is like um, dropping yourself into the center of New York City, and <laughs> it seems like it's wild there, right? Like, I, I wonder if maybe I. I'd be better targeting more of a small show that would have more. Like, who's going to be there? You know, who am I trying to get to see my work? Like, I guess I've got to think that way. Mm, so, interesting point. Uh, um, you know, whether it's a particular set of editors or, um, you know, other artists or who knows what. But, um, you know, I, I think once I have both one, book one and book two, I'll, I'll have to think about, you know, if and when I make some sort of pilgrimage overseas to try and get people to notice it. It's yeah. better than how I said it um, or what I was actually <laughs> thinking anyway. But, um, uh, Mike, uh, thank you very much for for speaking, coming on the show and chatting about uh, Action Tank, which will be out uh, as of November. If people are interested, actiontankcomic.com has all the information you could ever want. You can have that website again. Yes, that's actiontankcomic.com. Thanks, Mike. No worries. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure to be on here and chat to you. Thank no, you. No, no, like no. Like I said, no. I don't have uh, people that'll chat to me for an hour and a half about comics usually. So uh, this has been really nice. Yeah. Thanks, heaps for for getting in touch and uh, being willing to to chat about your stuff. Yeah, thanks, mate. Good to chat to you. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much. That's the end of this episode of Graphic Nature. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate and review the show on whatever podcast service you use. It would be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts regarding the show, feel free to send an email to feedback at graphicnature.media. You can catch catch me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For more information about the show, visit Graphic Nature on the web by typing into your handy web browser or search engine, graphicnature.media. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks a lot. Credits! Written, produced, edited, and presented by Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio consultation and additional production. Archie Cuthbertson, Dan Moore. Credits announcer, Simon Winkler. Theme character voices, Zoran Ilyevsky. Audio excerpts of Senate Subcommittee on Juvenile Delinquency, Wortham versus Gaines on Decency Standards, used courtesy of New York City Municipal Archives. You've been listening to Graphic Nature, the podcast.